Welcome to another episode of MedTalk, a medical revision podcast for medical students by medical students. My name is Melissa and I'm a final year medical student at UWA. On our last episode, we were lucky enough to be joined by Professor Peter Friedland, an ENT surgeon, to discuss an approach to hearing loss where we covered the most common causes of acquired sensory neural hearing loss, being age-related presbycusis and exposure to noise. On today's episode, I'm joined again by Prof Friedland to discuss sudden sensory neural hearing loss. Sudden sensory neural hearing loss is an important, not-to-be-missed cause of permanent hearing loss and tinnitus, which must be identified and treated as a matter of urgency. Prof Friedland, thank you very much for joining us again. It's a great pleasure. We are going to start today's episode with another case study to help illustrate the circumstances in which sudden sensory neural hearing loss could arise. So let's start with our case. You are in the emergency department. Ms Pearson, a 36-year-old woman, has presented because she woke up with a blocked left ear. It is Sunday evening, so she hasn't been able to see her GP yet, but she decided that she should come in because, she, because it had been like this all day and she's a bit worried that it could be an infection. When you ask more about the presenting complaint, she tells you that she has no pain, no vertigo, no otorrhea. She does have mild tinnitus in that left ear, which started about five hours ago. She has otherwise been well recently, and she has no significant medical history, but she tells you she had otitis media a couple of times as a kid, but it went away pretty quickly. She's not on any medications and has no allergies. So what should our approach be to this patient in the ED? This is a very important case, very close to my heart. And I think as a doctor in ED, you've got an incredibly important role in managing this patient well. Because if we don't manage this patient well, this patient could lose their hearing permanently. First of all, this is a typical patient who comes to ED. And the problem with this patient is that it's a very innocuous sounding complaint. My ear is blocked. And you as a busy ED doctor who's exhausted on a Sunday night, think to yourself, even though you may not verbalize it, why is this patient coming here with such a nonsensical, insignificant complaint? Can you not see we've got road traffic accident patients, we've got patients who are having myocardial infarctions, patients who are dehydrated from gastroenteritis. We've got real emergencies here. Get out of my emergency room. And I want to dispossess people of that notion because a blocked ear may be very, very simple. It may be related to wax in the ear, as we discussed before. They may have swum recently, water gets in the ear, wax is quite dry and hydroscopic, it expands with water and suddenly they've got a blocked ear. They may be, uh, they may be very tense, they may have been chewing on their or grinding on their tempa uh, temporomandibular joint and get a referred blockness in their ear. But they may also have a sudden hearing loss, a sudden nerve hearing loss, which we call sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And that manifests with a blocked ear because the brain interprets hearing loss as a blocked feeling. And the patient will often say to you, Doc, I've got something in my ear. Please wash it out. And I think that that's very important. So if a patient presents with these kind of symptoms, uh, unilateral blocked ears come on quite suddenly. You should always consider the sensory neural hearing loss. It's something serious not to be missed. 
Uh, what, what are your other differentials? I think you've mentioned a few there. Um, so as I said in the, in the first podcast, I would look at it anatomically. Look at the outer ear. What could go wrong in the outer ear? A foreign body, wax, otitis externa that with swelling of the canal. Have they recent, look, let's look at the middle ear. Have they recently been flying? Have they had an upper respiratory tract infection? Do they have a retracted drum from a blocked eustachian tube? Do they have fluid in their ear? Or, um, you know, could there be something else serious going on in the inner ear or even in the brain that may be causing this sudden blockedness? We do an examination on Ms. Pearson and we find that she, well, on inspection and palpation, there's no abnormalities detected in the external ear. We do a, we do a tuning fork test. We find that she's Rene positive on both ears, but the Weber test localises to the right ear. The, we also do otoscopy, and the tympanic membrane is intact. There's no inflammation, um, no edema, no abnormal findings anywhere else. So does, does this raise your suspicion for this sudden sensory neural um, loss? Yes, it does. Um, it's very difficult to diagnose in the sense that you're in a busy ED. You often don't even have tuning forks. I think the most important tuning fork here would be the Weber test and make sure that it's central. If it localizes to the affected ear, which would have been um, her blocked left ear, you can be reassured that this is probably a retracted drum or fluid that you can't see or a conductive hearing loss. But if it localizes to the other ear, then you're concerned that something's happened in the cochlea on the left side. Usually they'll also be Rene negative. Because when you do put the tuning fork on the bone, they can hear it in the left ear, but they're hearing it in the opposite ear on the other side. Does that make sense? So actually in this patient, you would expect the if she had sudden sensory neural hearing loss to have Rene negative in her affected ear. Yes, it, it's, it's kind of confusing because you're saying bone conduction is better than air conduction in the affected ear. They're not actually hearing the bone conduction in that right, in that um, left ear. They're actually hearing it transmitted into the right ear. So when you put the tuning fork on the left ear and you say, can you hear it? They can, but they're actually hearing it in their right ear. And they can't tell that they're hearing it in their right ear. No, to them, they think they're hearing they it in their left ear. But when you, put, when you put it in the center of their skull over the web, then they'll be able to tell you, I'm hearing it in my right ear. So on examination, if we find that Ms. Pearson does have all these findings we've mentioned, so she's actually Renee negative on the affected ear and it's localising to the other ear, how do we want to manage her from this point? Should we call ENT straight away? Um, I think calling ENT straight away is a very good idea. On a Sunday evening, you're probably not going to always get the response that you want. Very importantly, um, I would dispel the notion in our own doctor's heads that they should be giving antibiotics, eardrops, decongestants at all at this stage. What the American Academy guidelines say very clearly is that the patient needs an urgent audiogram to confirm your findings. Now where are you going to get an audiogram on a Sunday night? You're not, you may not even get it on Monday or Tuesday. So for the first 72 hours we give high dose oral steroids. One milligram kilogram. If they're 50 kilograms, they get 50 milligrams of prednisolone. If they're 100 kilograms, give them 100 milligrams of steroids. You are not going to do any harm 
for the next three days by giving steroids. You can warn them about the potential side effects of insomnia, feeling a bit jittery, uh, perhaps increase in appetite. But the long-term side effects of steroids are not going to be severe. So the best approach here would be to treat empirically, I suppose, with steroids and await results of an audiogram to confirm uh, that that's the diagnosis. And, and ensure that if, when the audiogram does come back that they have either CU or an ENT because you want to continue that steroid treatment uh, for at least 10 to 14 days. We know that 30% of people will not improve, 30 to 60% of people will not improve. In fact, the hearing may deteriorate. And if you do give steroids, um, there is a very high percentage of these patients who will improve within the first 72 hours to a week. What are the consequences of them not improving? Here you've got a relatively young person. They are 36 years old. They're going to, if they're misdiagnosed and they're fobbed off, you've got a blocked ear, don't waste my time, I'm busy, take some antibiotic eardrops, I've looked at you, I can't find anything, I haven't bothered to do a, hear a tuning fork test, I haven't bothered to send you for an audiogram, and I'm certainly not going to give you steroids. You fob them off, and if they, if they delay it more than 72 hours, they can have a permanent hearing loss. Worse than that is associated with that permanent hearing loss is the most awful debilitating tinnitus. And it's one thing not to be able to hear people on one side of your body, but to be plagued 24-7 by horrendous tinnitus for the rest of your life is, is really unfortunate, and it's preventable. So if you give a patient the steroids, what's the prognosis for them? The prognosis is usually that 60 to 70% of people will improve. We know that about 30% of people also improve spontaneously with or without steroids. I normally see patients within 48 hours, 72 hours. And if they haven't improved, the other method of treating them is with hyperbaric oxygen. And here in Perth, we're very fortunate that we've got a hyperbaric center that treats patients at Medicare rates in a dive chamber at Fiona Stanley Hospital. And we believe that by increasing the blood flow to the cochlea and the very tiny blood vessels, the stria vascularis within the cochlea, this improves their um, chances of, of uh, recuperation and regaining their hearing. So if you're not noticing any improvement on the steroids after about 72 hours, then you would proceed to the hyperbaric oxygen? Yes, we would, we would advocate hyperbaric oxygen. And early on in the piece. So what do we understand about the pathophysiology of this condition? Very little. And unfortunately, I still think that we're in the dark ages when it comes to sudden sensory neural hearing loss. Like everything else in medicine, when we're not sure what the cause is, we say it's due to a virus and it's going around. Well, we do think that it's viral in cause. We do know that upper respiratory tract herpes simplex type 1, not the genital herpes, the upper respiratory tract, can cause this. And it's important to ask patients, did you get a cold sore before or do you get cold sores? Because they may get recurrent episodes of this and you may want to put them on an antiviral if you can um, establish a viral cause. We think there may be a vascular cause. The, the artery that supplies the labyrinth and the inner ear is an end artery. 
um, in uh, the labyrinthine artery, and you may get a micro a thrombus to that area. Then um, there are obviously idiopathic causes, which we are not sure of, but certain neurological causes can cause it. A massive brain bleed, for example, a CVA, a tumor like a vestibular schwannoma or an acoustic neuroma, and then other neurological degenerative conditions like multiple sclerosis. In about 8% of multiple sclerosis cases, the first symptom that they developed is a hearing loss, which is usually unilateral. So what is the, what is the prevalence of sensory neural, sudden sensory neural hearing loss? Would, would we, most doctors expect to see that at some point in their careers? If you read the literature, it's one in 10,000. And so you really wouldn't expect to see it that commonly. But unfortunately, most of the sudden sensory neural hearing loss that we see is poorly diagnosed and not reported. I personally see four to five patients monthly with sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And I would say it's at least, at least uh, five to seven um, per 2,000 that I see of patients. Unfortunately, half the patients I see, at least 50% of the patients I've seen have been misdiagnosed. They see me at three weeks, three months or three years after the event and there's very little we can do. So even though it's not that common, it's something, it's not as uncommon as people might think and it's something really important not to be missed because Absolutely. the consequences are so, so great on those, these people's Absolutely. lives. Absolutely. And the problem is with us as doctors, we immediately make a diagnosis in our heads. You've got a blocked ear, can't be serious, take an eardrop, come call me in the morning. But there's no harm in sending someone for an audiogram, particularly if the ear looks normal. Thank you again to Prof Friedland for joining us on today's episode. We really appreciate you taking the time to come onto our podcast. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope that you never miss a case of sudden sensory neural hearing loss and the opportunity to start the patient on high-dose oral steroids early. If you would like episode summaries as well as information on our other episodes, please head to our website at medtalkpod.com. Mm-hmm.